tuned into Geek Elite Radio. Good luck. The future comes, and now my watch begins. It shall not end until my death. I shall miss no game, withhold no news, report all rumors. I shall wear no jerseys and plead allegiance to no side. I shall live and die on my webpage. I am the word in the darkness. I am the watcher of the TV. I am the megaphone that informs the realms of geek. I pledge my hands and name to the Geek's Watch, for the Geeks and all the Geeks to come. Yes, we are the Geek's Watch, and this week, John and I, we have, uh, we have a lot, lot to, to cover, right? Isn't that right, John? Yeah, it's been a busy week, surprisingly. <laughs> I think with all the you know uh, season finales of a lot of the network shows, it's it's a lot of interesting things are happening, uh, both movie and TV wise. Um, I know a lot of the st- a lot of the news I want to talk about is all movie wise, though. Uh, yeah, same here. I think we're sharing an article as well. Right, and which uh, yeah brings us straight to our first article, which is uh, Michael Keaton. A lot of the rumors going around that he is going to be playing the Vulture in Spider-Man: Homecoming. Uh, now, the article I have just says that the 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 director John Watts is very much uh, wanting him to be the the Vulture, or at least to be in the movie. Not, don't know exactly if it's the Vulture or not, but nothing has yet been confirmed. Yeah, I'm getting that from the Hollywood Reporter that they are in final negotiations at the moment. This was as of the 20th. Today's the 22nd uh, for a role, and everybody's speculating it's the Vulture. Um, now, do you think that has to do a lot with Birdman? I think it does. I think it's a sort of some kind of way of like tying it in in a meta sort of fashion. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I can't really think of any other uh, villain that he would be good for, can you? I mean, I I guess you could say that he could probably play Craven the Hunter, but I would want someone else to play Craven the Hunter. Yeah, someone maybe a little younger and physically fit. Um, <laughs> I see, I we've talked about this before, I believe, where we were mentioning who would make a good Mysterio. Uh-huh. And... Um, my pick for Mysterio was always um, Ash from The Walking Dead. Or not Walking Dead. <laughs> <laughs> from The Evil Dead. So Bruce Campbell. I would make a pretty good uh, crossover, though. That would be pretty cool if Ash showed up in The Walking Dead. Ash versus The Walking Dead. Like, there's a book. You need to read the word. Um, no, but I thought he would make a pretty good Mysterio because he would add this like kind of B-movie quality to the character that something like that would require, you know, him being like an actor and all that. Um, I think Michael Keaton would make a good Mysterio, to be honest. Uh, you know what? He would make a pretty good Mysterio, so I, I wouldn't I wouldn't put that past him. Um, if they were to go with another person as a, um, Norman Osborn, I guess I could kind of see him as Norman Osborn. Yeah, maybe. But only if he doesn't play the Green Goblin again, because... So, I think we're a little dropped out at this point. Right, we don't need we don't need the Green Goblin just just Norman Osborn. Right, fair enough. Like he could be the behind the scenes guy that you see glimpses of here and there, <laughs> kind of like what they tried to do with the Amazing Spider-Man series, but didn't pan out. Yeah. Um, so there you. I mean, there you go. I mean, there's a couple choices. I just don't. I guess I just don't really want the Vulture to be the main villain of the movie because I never felt the vulture was a main villain type. He's kind of a lesser villain. He's, he's more of a, um, maybe part of his ensemble as like the sinister six would be good, but not like as a main villain. Right. Like what, what threat can he really pose? That doesn't, I know. Um, granted, I'm only, I'm only familiar with the Vulture from the animated series. I was gonna say, <laughs> I was gonna say the exact same thing because the animated series he was he would use that one tablet to suck life force out of people so that he'd be young. 
Right. So I don't know how if that even would be a part of his character if that was only added for the cartoon show. Yeah. I think it was. I'm, I mean, I'm pretty sure it was, but I have no idea. So uh, the, moving on with Spider-Man still, um, there's been a lot of rumors that Vincent D'Onofrio's character of the Kingpin from Marvel's Daredevil, Netflix Daredevil, uh, would show up in Spider-Man Homecoming. Now, D'Onofrio himself has gone to Twitter and said, uh, sorry folks, but this is news to me. It would be great, but I don't think it will happen. Um, that would be great, <laughs> personally. Uh, we, we do know that uh, Sony and Marvel have come to, a, to a, an agreement that some of the people from the Marvel Cinematic Universe will show up in um, Spider-Man Homecoming, but I always figured that just meant that Robert Downey Jr. was going to show up in, in Spider-Man as Iron Man, or at least as Tony Stark. Right. I. It's one of those, it's too good to be true kind of news stories. Um, I hope it is. That'd be kind of cool. It's just start kind of bridging all of these away than just a quick reference to the green guy, you know, in one of the shows. <laughs> but um, I don't know. I... I'm hoping that it means exactly what we think it means and not just that it's only going to be the, the cinematic counterparts. Right. Of the characters. That I mean, I, I, don't get me wrong, because I, mean, I, I believe that, you know, Spider-Man and, and Daredevil exist more closely together than maybe Spider-Man and Iron Man do because, uh, you know, Iron Man's going to be doing all these things with the Avengers, and Spider-Man and Daredevil will do the street-level crime. So I, I always thought it would be great. I mean, they did always share the Kingpin as a as a, as a, a villain, so it would be great if, the you know, Vincent D'Onofrio could make it a, make an appearance as the Kingpin in Spider-Man Homecoming, but like you said, probably not going to happen. Now, do you think that uh, this new version of Spider-Man's um, like tone would fit with something a little more dour as Daredevil. Mm, I, I in the fact that it could be because it's the opposite. Yes, like how so they play off. Huh? So they could play off each other as opposites. Yeah, exactly. How how dour and down down in the dumps uh, Matt Murdock's character is in this show is. And obviously, this Spider-Man that we saw from Civil War is a lot more upbeat. It would be a nice little like change, like it'd, it'd be the the opposite for from from Matt to have to deal with. Like, who is this kid? Like, I mean, he just literally got off of, with season two of dealing with the Punisher, who's a much more extreme version of him. What would, what what would it be like to see like the exact opposite of him and how he deals with oh, that? I see it. Okay, I like it. So. I can get back behind that now. <laughs> so yeah, that that would be cool with me. Um, the next story I have was uh, Jamie Alexander, who played Lady Sif in Thor, and then Thor: uh, The Dark World. Uh, up until a couple months ago, was very much under the impression she was going to be in Thor: Ragnarok, but I guess the official. Um, uh, cast has come out uh, with for Thor Ragnarok, which added in Kate Blanchett uh, and who Jeff else? Goldblum. Jeff Goldblum and um, uh, Tessa Thompson and Carl Urban, all to be part of the movie. But yet, no Lady Sif, no Jamie Alexander. Uh, she, she is doing her own hit show on NBC right now, where she, uh, called the uh, called Blind Spot. Um, so maybe she just didn't have the, she didn't have the time to film it, but seems to me to be a very big oversight for a character that's been there for both movies and just not show up in the next one. But then again, neither is Natalie Portman. Hmm, so it's going to take place in almost entirely in Asgard, I'm assuming, or in the other realms other than Earth, I'm guessing. Oh yeah, I, de- I most definitely think that's what's going to happen. Yeah, that is interesting. Um... I would venture to guess that with all these top billed actors coming on board, you know, they had to cut some of the budget somewhere. Maybe that was Lady Sif's salary. 
but probably yeah it's probably the the show that she's currently on and they figure you know her character probably isn't that integral to the plot she'd just be in something that's going to be already loaded with a lot of characters maybe she could be one that you know he doesn't need a, a love interest in this one perhaps it's true but i've heard that maybe tessa thompson's going to be playing his love interest as the, as the valkyrie huh so oh. who knows maybe maybe i mean cuz was was it the last time we even hear thor mention uh jane foster is in age of ultron and he says that she's off doing some research for whoever and she's very important when when him and tony are kind of doing their uh pissing the match yeah yeah, the, she's she saw sciencing, basically is what she said. What you said? She what? Um, she's off sciencing. Oh yeah, <laughs> that's right. And uh, yeah. well, we do know that p- for personal reasons, I believe is the reason why Natalie Portman dropped out of the third movie. She is not happy with the way that her character has been portrayed. I believe. Oh, you think they might appease her sometime down in the future and make her become Lady Thor? Uh, I don't. I really. I don't know. Maybe. Maybe that's what she's waiting for. But I don't. I don't really see uh, that happening. <laughs> At least not with uh, Natalie Portman. Yeah, I guess. In a related note, uh, it looks like uh, we might know the reason now why Captain Cold is not going to be appearing as a regular now. Yeah, after uh, that episode uh, two weeks ago, definitely see why he's not going to be a regular on that show uh, on Legends of Tomorrow. And Prison Break uh, looks like it might be making a return. So, which is also true, but but obviously you would think that uh, Dominic Purcell would have just as much, uh, you know, involvement in Prison Break. Unless I didn't watch the last season of Prison Break. I don't know if his character like died or anything. Yeah, I lost interest after the first season. I'm like, well, once they're out, that's that's it. So they broke the prison. You know? <laughs> well, they didn't. I don't even think they broke out of the prison until the end of the second season or the middle oh, of the second, the second season. Uh, to me now. <laughs> there's, I think, I lost interest once they got to they broke out of the the Mexican prison. Like after that, I was like, okay, they've now <laughs> broken out of two prisons, <laughs> and uh, this is kind of ridiculous. So. <laughs> Yeah, I think I remember something along the lines back when that happened. It was like, oh, it's prison break, spring break. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm going to Cancun after this one. <laughs> um, Although, actually, in retrospect, that could have been a really interesting show. Of um, They could eventually go around the world and do like just like a global prison break, like do it everywhere and see like yeah let's see if we can break out of a russian prison i think their faces would become a little known by that point (laughs) but it would be a good show i mean then you could just they could become consultants like like uh stallone's character in escape plan you know they just kind of go around and uh talk to prisons about whether or not they have good security they become consultants i like that yeah that's cool (laughs) uh okay uh and then my last piece of um news or like thing that caught my eye this week was uh have you seen the trailer for uh ben affleck's new movie called the accountant um funny you should mention that no i haven't seen the actual original untouched trailer however (laughs) i saw something much better (laughs) well i think that's what i'm getting at here because uh the accountant I i actually happened to see it for the first time last night when i went to go see uh the nice guys in the movie theater but uh, as you're sitting there watching it, it, it very much plays up as like this could very well be the 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 prequel to Batman v Superman with Bat, with Ben Affleck's character as Bruce Wayne. But uh, this is obviously like this kid who who has he might be on the spectrum or not, but he also might just not have any. Uh, uh, he might just be a sociopath, and he's learning. You know, he he has a, a chart that shows him what different emotions mean and stuff like that. So eventually, uh, someone out there in the internet, you know, on the on the webs, uh, got creative and, and and spliced in some Batman v Superman footage into the the trailer for the accountant and made it look like <laughs> the like it's an actual prequel to Batman v Superman. And uh, I posted it up on our Facebook page, but it is 
I think it's hilarious. I think it's great uh, use of both uh, both both uh, uh, movie trailers. Yeah, that guy's going to be a filmmaker in the future because he's got to <laughs> use that talent for editing. <laughs> I remember they did something similar with Christian Bale back in uh, when he was announced to be Batman, and they took footage from was it the American Psycho and Equilibrium? Yeah, I remember that. And yeah, yeah, that one was pretty awesome because it was almost like a proof of concept. Because like, you see, he can play the the Bruce Wayne business type as well as the ass kicking ninja. <laughs> type. Very, very much so. And <laughs> I was pretty much sold when they announced him. But then after seeing that, I'm like, holy crap, this is gonna be awesome! It's gonna be the first Bruce Wayne that can do his own stunts. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> yeah, I thought that was pretty neat. And this one kind of reminded me of that, but now it's like even more hype because he has already done a Batman and now I kind of want to see the more the Bruce Wayne side of things. I also, I, yeah, you know, you're right. It's, that would be kind of, I just want to see more of the detective side of things. Like I would love to see a Batman detective movie at, at some point in my life. Where like Batman takes a back seat and it's him just really just figuring things out. Yeah. Like, I mean, it doesn't need to be, uh, I mean, don't get me wrong. I want to see Batman punching people and kicking people's asses, but like, I, instead of focusing on the gadgets and all that other, like, I'd want to see one of like like have the Riddler be his his villain and like he has to solve mysteries and and save people by using his mind instead of just punching the bad guy. Right. Well, maybe you could throw one punch into the Riddler, but they'll knock him out. <laughs> yeah, exactly. At the end, when he gets to him. <laughs> Um, yeah, yeah I would, I would love to see that. I was thinking, uh, in American Psycho, there's that, the scene when, uh, the guy is running down the, the stairs and he, he, th- he kind of aims the chainsaw at him and drops the chainsaw on him. Do you remember that? Oh yeah. Yeah. So it very much reminded me of this, the scene in, uh, was it, it's, it's, I think it's the dark Knight when he jumps off the, the, uh, the, in the garage port and the car because oh, yeah. the car's going down the 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 wheelie the the whirly part and he just jumps down and he lands right on on the car on the car which gets to the bottom is it just uh, me yeah <laughs> sure why <Yeah>. not <laughs> i don't know i absolutely remember that that was pretty awesome i had to make the connection though until you mentioned it just now <laughs> uh i want i mean I, I you gotta wonder if nolan took that into a into idea like hey you know that's kind of a cool little mirror scene but i don't know well if, if uh ben affleck ever ask anybody if they like huey lewis in the news i'm gonna fucking like fist pump so hard <laughs> did you have any other news yeah my last bit is um brad garrett the bigger bassier brother from everybody loves raymond <laughs> has been announced as the voice of krang in the new ninja turtle movie that's so strange. Had, yeah, it, it it doesn't seem to fit the character because I see or I hear Brad Garrett and I remember the puffer fish from Finding Nemo, the big uh, Easter Island heads from Night at the Museum and um, Fatso, the, the ghost from Casper. Yeah. You know, like, these are a lot of very recognizable like voices because it's the same guy doing the same exact voice. Um, it had been reported that Fred Armisen might be doing Krang, and I thought that was a really good choice because he ha- he can do nasally, high-pitched, weird character voices, and that would be perfect for Krang because that's what he sounded like in the cartoon. Right. And this, this movie, more so than ever, seems to really be pandering to the original cartoon, at least in the character designs of Bebop and Rocksteady, because they look like they're straight out of the cartoon. Oh, yeah. You know, the, the turtle designs being as, you know, blasphemous and confusing as they are, that <laughs> um, is what turned me off to the first movie. But now I kind of want to see this one because they look like they have a cool shredder. The Bebop and Rock City, like I said, look like they're straight out of the cartoon. And Krang and the Technodrome are making an appearance. And Casey Jones, I don't care too much about. I thought Elias Codius, who we've discussed before, is the ultimate casey jones for me <laughs> and Stephen amell looks a little too happy in the role to be honest he does, he does seem a little happy 
you know, like, hey, I'm Casey Jones. This this rocks. You know, <laughs> I think he's a little too self-aware that he's playing probably one of his favorite childhood characters or something. But... Uh, that could definitely be it too. Yeah, yeah. I guess I'd be pretty stoked, like grinny, if I was playing, you know, like something like that. <laughs> but it it is enough to actually make me interested in this movie for once. But now that and they have I, get I Brad guess... Garrett as the voice of Krang. Well, here's what I'm hoping. I'm hoping that by Krang, they mean the robot is going to have a voice, and they might still have a separate voice for the brain part of the the creature. That's I, the only thing that makes me kind of still have hope for this. Because... I'm, I'm almost betting that's exactly what's going to happen, because it would only make sense. I mean, that, that robot that Krang sits inside of, at least in the cartoon, is huge. It would be a giant, and you would need a giant's voice. Yeah, it'd be like nine feet tall, so it makes sense it would project and I'm guessing maybe somewhere in the movie there'll be a scene where they beat Krang and you know the brain pops out of the, the suit and then he has that shrilly high pitched voice instead Right. that would probably save it for me well it's not, it's not too much longer until that movie comes out so we'll have to we'll, we'll see yeah I'm, I'm going to do something unthinkable I'm actually going to go pay to watch it so <laughs> that is pretty crazy the first one <laughs> I haven't even seen the first one, so I'll just be going into this one fresh. Be like, all right, this is the official sequel to the first movie from like 1990 in my head. Oh, we will have to, we will have to uh, find out how how that works out for you then when it happens. I'm gonna be like, whoa, April got hot. Uh, all right, so if that's all the news that we have to talk about today, I would like to get straight into our our second lineage for this uh, for the Geeks Watch, and I think it's a very important one, especially with what's going on in the show right now. Uh, Sorjora Mormont, did I say his name right? Yes. Okay. So uh, then now we, I most, I mean, I would say most of the people that watch the show would know him as. Uh, Daenerys' uh, bodyguard, right-hand man, kind of the one that helped her at the very beginning when she was uh, very new to the whole um, Dothraki culture and stuff like that. He's the one that constantly is furting her on as she is the rightful heir to the, thro- the, to the Iron Throne and all that good stuff. That's right. And it's a very interesting story of how he ended up in this position to begin with. There was a lot of backstory to him. Mm-hmm. Um, I enjoyed recapping some of his history because it's very bittersweet, mostly bitter. Um, Jorah Mormont is the lord of the Bear Islands and the son of Jor Mormont's slightly different pronunciation. He was the original... Uh, Lord Commander of the Night's Watch when Jon Snow first joined. So Jorah's, Jorah Mormont's father went and joined the the Night's Watch? Yes. Now, when you join uh, the Night's Watch, you give up all your titles and your lands and all that good stuff. Correct. He did so, from what I can gather, um, because it's um, it's not explicitly stated in the books as to why, Uh, I mean, in the show, as to why. But basically, it seems like he joined the Night's Watch in order to give Jorah the lordship. Um, Because he was already getting kind of up there in age. I mean, usually uh, people don't live that long, especially in the north. Right. Since he was already kind of getting up there and says, well, I mean, you're of age and you're going to be needing to get married soon. And, you know, you might as well have all of this. And he felt, and a lot of the people in the North that still have sort of an old school mentality see serving in the Night's Watch as a duty. Okay. And I was like, it's something you should do because we're, it's, you know, we're in great need of their, of what they do and we appreciate and respect what they stand for. Most others don't really see that anymore. Uh, but, you know, like I said, some of the more old school Northerners still kind of hold respect for them. So he felt it was his duty. I was like, all right, well, I mean, I'm kind of getting up there in age. There's not much more I could do. If there's ever a battle, I'm not going to be of much use. So I'll just go up to the north and, you know, be of some service. He could be the and commander of the Night's Watch. The ranks... I'm sorry? I said then he could be the Lord Commander of the Night's Watch. Yeah. Uh, basically um... passing on all of his knowledge and experience while holding down the the, the wall. Right. 
and uh, he did a pretty good job for a while until like you know mutiny and all that but we can discuss that at a different time so this left Jorah Mormon as the lord of the Bear Island and uh, he rose to prominence during uh, Robert's rebellion and also during uh, the uh, the Great Joy Rebellion which is actually when Robert Baratheon took notice of him and he recognized his valor um, due to the fact that Bear Island is so close to Pike you know he had a really strong foothold uh, militarily speaking and Robert Baratheon rewarded him by giving him his knighthood Oh, now eventually during a tournament he falls in love with the lady from Hightower I don't remember her name I don't think they mentioned it in the, in the show and you know they both fall in love he takes her back to Bear Island and then the honeymoon is over almost immediately because she wasn't used to living in the north she was actually from the Reach which is a much more metropolitan and moderately climated area so to go from that to basically what would be the equivalent of like Siberia <laughs> you know, it really depressed her right so Jorah being the hopeless romantic, wanted to just keep her happy any way he could. So he started buying gifts and importing, you know, fine things from the mainland. And pretty soon he was broke. Now, he had, he, he had bankrupt the whole kingdom? Uh, no, he bankrupted his, like, lordship, his, uh, his own little, like, mini village area. Oh, okay. The, the Bear um, Islands. Right. And uh, so he resorted to something that was very uh, illegal in Westeros, which was uh, dealing in slavery. He would take poachers that would go onto the island to kill game illegally and sold them to, uh, I think it was Pintoshi or Tairoshi slavers. And when Ned Stark got wind of this, he was like, "Um, yeah, that's illegal and the penalty is death. So just kindly wait for me to get there and I'm going to kill you. Wow, that's very so, interesting uh, with uh, the fact that we know that eventually when he he's as, you know, working with the with Daenerys, you know, they're going around trying to to liberate all these slaves. I know that's kind of ironic. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's that's part of his way of atoning because he knew what he was doing is wrong, but he felt that because he was doing it for love that it kind of made it okay. Right. Nevertheless, he decided not to argue that point with Ned Stark. He instead fled with his wife to the free cities in uh, Essos. Once there, he picked up a life of, you know, being a sellsword, but being away from home for so long in order to make money, his wife found a lover, and he was like, um, you can just get right back out that door, or I'm going to report you, and, you know, you're going to be pretty miserable. So he was heartbroken and, you know, decided, all right, well, it's, I, don't, I hope she's happy and, you know, turned his back on his marriage and left and just became a straight-up sellsword. Now, this is where things get interesting because leading up to the events of Daenerys getting married to Khal Drogo, uh, in the behind the scenes, somewhere along the line, uh, Varys got in touch with uh, Jorah and basically said, hey, you want to do some good, possibly get pardoned and then come back home? We need you to uh, go on a little mission for us. And he was like, yeah, sure, anything. You know, at this point, he has nothing to lose. He's just kind of his own man, but he's also wanted back home. So he's kind of stuck between a rock and a hard place. It's too good of a deal to pass up. And the mission was go to... Pentos oversee this wedding and then join the the group to kind of just you know report on us or on them for us rather and you know let us know what's going on so early on in the first season you know they have a lot of information as to what's going on with Daenerys and her brother and it's not really explained why right away well it turns out you know Jorah was Spying on them. Spying on them. Which is what we saw in what 
two seasons ago, two, three seasons ago on the show? Yes, that was finally revealed. Now, we, the audience, find out that he was spying on them around halfway through the uh, the first season when you see that one of Varys' little birds gives him a gives him his pardon as well as a, a note saying, you've been relieved of your duties, you can come back home now. Oh, that's right. And that's when Jorah realizes, oh, they're going to try to kill her. And he has a change of consciousness and decides, you know what, no, I really like her and I don't want you know them to kill her, so he throws away his pardon and when he realizes that she's going to be poisoned with uh, the wine cellar he steps in and basically turns his back on the offer and on the Westeros basically he decides to commit to Daenerys wholeheartedly right now that comes to light uh, well like you said two seasons ago Mm -hmm. a season ago when it's finally revealed that Oh, yeah, actually, he was spying on you the whole time and was complicit in the fact that they wanted to kill you. And Daenerys, being, you know, the the staunch leader that she is now, was like, well, I can't have that going on. You know, I should kill you, but I'm going to spare you instead. So, you know, GTFO. Right. And then he gets, that's when he picks up uh, Tyrion and then gets sold into slavery himself. And they have to fight, and then they become, uh, they get an audience with the with Daenerys. Right. And also, in the process of coming back to Daenerys, contracts the fatal disease of Grayscale. Grayscale. Now, that's, now that's an important part of this, sh- I mean, this, this show, I think. Uh, we saw, we, we saw all those men on that, that island. I forget what the name of that island was. Uh, they all obviously have this disease, and, and that's how they spread it to him. But also, uh, Stannis's daughter had the same disease, right? Right. She was cured. Um, she no longer had it spreading, but it got to the point where it covered like half of her face. So she was always going to look like that. Right. So there is, is a way to, to cure, cure it, but... Yes, it comes at a great cost, too. If I remember correctly, I believe that Stannis had to resort to uh, like sacrificial blood magic in order to keep it from spreading. And it wasn't easy to come by either. So it's it's not easy to heal yourself, but it is possible. Fair enough. Uh, is Does he also have a brother? Jorah? Yeah. No, he has a sister, I believe. Um, so the guy that portrayed Jon Snow at the, at the Night's Watch, the, the tall one, that wasn't his... I thought, for some reason, I thought that was his brother. Is, he, is that guy related to somebody? Which guy was it? The 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 very the, the one that wanted to be the Lord Commander, that portrayed Jon Snow, that got all the, the... oh Alistair Thorne. Yeah, yeah. No, that guy was just a another guy who was a, a minor lord in uh, Westeros. Okay, so what happened to the Bear Islands after uh, Jorah left? Good question. All right, so it hasn't been explicitly stated in the show except for one real quick uh, throwaway scene. Not even throwaway. It's actually kind of important. In the last season, when um, the Boltons take over Winterfell, they start calling all their bannermen, saying, we are the new wardens of the north, You know, so you need to come and pledge your banners to us. Uh, it's really quick. You might miss it if you don't freeze frame it. But one of the letters that they received as a response was from the Bear Island. And... Um, it basically states the key, uh, the North knows, um, uh, the, the North doesn't recognize a warden whose name is not Stark or something to that effect. Uh. I should have written that down. Um, and it was from the Bear Island. It has their seal at the bottom. Now, that means that somebody's obviously still in charge in Bear Island. Well, in the books, the uh, basically Jorah's mother and his sister are in charge of Bear Island at the moment uh, because there's really no one else. You know, they're they're the ladies of the bear or the, I forget what they call them. They have a name um, that they use to kind of describe their current situation, but it escapes me at the moment. And I believe they were present at the Red Wedding, but it wasn't explicitly stated. Okay. 
Um, nevertheless, they survived that or somehow got away because they're now back on Bear Island. And they say that, you know, they don't recognize, or the only one they recognize is the, as the ruler of the North. His name is Stark, which is going to play in very soon because one of the uh, upcoming episodes is called, uh, or it's not called, uh, it's summarized as the North is reminded. That's an interesting moniker because one of the uh, sayings is the North remembers, you know, they, they hold on to grudges and they don't take kindly to betrayals. Right. So it sounds like um, with the return of Sansa and possibly John Stark. Right. I don't know. Um, the North might get the reminder that they need that, you know, the Boltons are not the true wardens and uh, their house needs to be punished for all the betrayal they've done. Well, there you go. That's uh, that would be the lineage of John or of Jura, Sir Jura, uh Mormont. Uh, very, very cool. Very, very interesting. Uh, you know, very. At, at one point in time, uh, I think season two, it seemed like every character that we were following had their own right hand man knight, and uh, Jorah was uh, Daenerys's. Um, uh, Arya had the faceless man. Uh, Jamie had Brienne. <laughs> yeah, you know, and they had, yeah, he had Brienne, and then uh, 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 Bra- uh, Tyrion had Bronn, and like those were all the characters that I was in- really enjoying. Sir Davros, so like it was very cool. Um, it's very cool to get more uh, information on those particular characters. Like I would love to hear more about Bronn. Oh, yeah, Bronn's an interesting fellow, but his story has diverged very wildly from the book. However, we're supposed to be seeing him again soon, from what I can what I can gather. I would I would uh, love to see that. So, uh, well, we, then we can go ahead and, and start talking. I think that's a good segue into uh, the, the episode this week, which is uh, Book of the Stranger. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this episode begins with something I didn't think was going to happen this soon. We have a Stark reunion in uh, the Wall. We sure do, which is incredible because you know every time we've seen uh, you know a Stark get near another Stark, they kind of diverge. Like something happens where they don't get the they don't get to be with each other. Uh, uh, obviously, uh, Jon Snow and um, uh, Bran were close to each other and. Uh, almost like, like, did they actually even meet? I forget. No. Um, Bran just went off. He he said he had to go further north, and and the and the other person was like, "Oh, but your brother's, your Jon Snow's right here," and he's like, "No, I gotta go." Yeah. While while he was warped, I believe, um, he saw him, and when he wakes up, he was like, "I saw my brother," and he wants to go help him, but. They're like, no, we like we either go now or we don't go at all, kind of situation. So right. He realized he had to go, and, and then there was then there was the the hound and Arya showing up at the 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 Vale, and uh, he was about to be like, he, they were like, hey, we're here, I'm here with you know Arya, or we're here to talk to Sansa Stark or whatever, and she's like, Sansa Stark's dead. Oh, but she wasn't. <laughs> It's just nothing but misconnections. If they had a Craigslist, I'm sure it'd be nothing but that. <laughs> uh, and then now we know that uh, Rakon, or how do you say his name, Rinkin, 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 is Rinkin. is now the the captive of uh, Ramsey Bolton. Yes, I know that's so unfortunate. <laughs> And that will come into play later as you're t- as we're talking about the reunion between Sansa Stark and Jon Snow. Uh, I thought it was very cute. Quick. I'm sorry, go ahead. I was to say real quick, I just have a quick fan theory about that, and we can discuss it later. But I think that Rickon is going to have an interesting role in the upcoming episodes. Oh, interesting. We can discuss this when we get a little bit later into it. Okay. Um, I thought it was it was cute for you know Sansa Stark, who's obviously done a lot of growing up in between season one and season six. It's uh, for her to be like, God, I was such a douche to you, like like I was such a little brat, didn't uh, you know calling you names and, and and ignoring you just because you weren't uh, like our proper brother. 
Yeah, it shows how far she's come and how much she had to mature due to all of these experiences she's had. Yeah, I mean, I mean, obviously having to be uh, the pawn, a political pawn for so long, and being accused of murder of a king, and uh, having to uh, watch her aunt get killed by another dude, and you know, just all kinds of stuff. So I, w- I would assume that means, yeah, it was a, l- and then having to be married to Ramsay Bolton. <laughs> yeah. I mean, who, who do you think she would choose the, if she had to live out her life? Would be be the king to Joffrey, or king to, or a queen to, or married to Joffrey, or married to Ramsay Bolton? Well, um, I think she had. No, I was gonna say she probably had less of a chance of being killed by Joffrey, but no, I think um, both of them were bad choices. Honestly, <laughs> you can't really win one or the other. <laughs> yeah, I would say you're you're probably right with that. She'd have more power, maybe, as Joffrey's wife, but <laughs> not worth it still. Uh, so, basically, they as they're they're getting to to know each other again, or, or or a reunion, or whatever. This is when Jon Snow has decided to give up his, uh, his uh, his 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 claim as Lord Commander because he's he's felt his 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 watch is over, right? Right, and although it makes sense contextually, it also does raise the the same thing that Ed was mentioning. It was like you're gonna leave us when you've seen what's coming, and John's just like, uh, yeah. <laughs> it seems very callous, but that could be just because the experience of being dead and all that has changed his perspective, where he just doesn't care now. True, and and plus, you know, he also talks about. Uh, he has to command the people that tried to kill him and stuff like that. Or, or, you know, I mean, I imagine he already, or he already killed the people that, that tried or that did kill him. So, uh, being Lord commander was also, was very, it seemed very odd to him to, to do, have to do that. Um, however, do you think that you can explain that to, cause, cause you go into the first season and you know you have uh, the very like first episode I believe is you have uh, Ned Stark meets these uh, Night's Watch that come running out of nowhere and or the, that one Night's Watch guy, guy and he's like, oh no, there's this crazy thing that's happening over here and they they killed my friends blah 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 and he's like yeah but you're not on your watch you, you abandoned your duty so I have to kill you right yeah and that stark's just that kind of guy but right you know so then you break the rule on any technicality you're still going to get punished so how do you really if there was another person like ned stark out there and they came across Jon snow could Jon snow really explain it? it's like look look i haven't broken my oath because technically i died i already died i gave my life to the night's watch and now i get to go free yeah they're gonna need some kind of like <laughs> Lawyer type thing going on, some kind of <laughs> Westeros, in order to explain that one. Yeah. And he's like, "Well, you died, but you're alive again." And he's like, "Yeah, but the oath strictly says until my death." And, you know, it just goes back and forth. Yeah, exactly. And then <laughs> you basically, just have to take a stand and deal with it. <laughs> Fair enough. So, uh, while he's doing all this, it's when when Sansa Stark shows up, and then they get the. They get the letter from Ramsey Bolton saying, "I have Rickon, whatever his name is. <laughs> if you want him back, you got to come face me, face to face. Come and see." Yeah, and he's he's telling him to meet him at Winterfell, right? Yes. Basically, he says, uh, "You probably have Sansa Stark. I have Rickon. If you want him back, give me back her. Give her back to me." Oh, way to English. And. Um, <laughs> He's basically just threatening that, you know, he has this many men, he'll go and take her by force if need be, and he's going to make her life a living hell the harder he makes it for him. And Jon Snow's just kind of like, well, first of all, I'm not Lord Commander anymore. And second of all, like, we don't have the manpower to either fight them back or, you know, stage some kind of assault. And that's, and that's when, when these wheels turning. And I think we're going to see the machinations of this in the upcoming episodes of the North being reminded of something very important. There you go. Uh, that That's very much so. Um, but as of right now, they're talking about using the wildlings who have maybe 2,000 people that can fight. And 
that's up against Bolton Ramsey's five thousand people. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess that you know that also takes into account like where uh, Jon Snow thinks he'll be able to uh, fight this battle when Stannis already went and tried to take Winterfell. Right, but he there was a couple of differences there that Stannis's army at this point was much lower, and he was going with bolstered confidence, thinking that the Red God was on their side. Mm, that's true. So, I mean, I guess you could say that there's more evidence that the Red God would be on Jon Snow's side now. At this point, yeah. <laughs> also, this, this brings up an interesting uh, interaction between uh, Melisandre... Davos and Brienne where he basically straight up tells them like yeah by the way I killed your boss which you know I thought was a very interesting thing at the end of last season because you have Brienne that kind of just walks up to Stannis who's who's up against a tree obviously already dying and she's like he's he she explains who she is and that she had she was a uh, Renly's uh, bodyguard and he she had pledged an oath to him and he's like well fine go ahead and do it and she pulls her sword, but then the camera pans away. You don't see her do the the killing blow, which in a show where they love to show people getting killed was very strange to me. I almost thought that maybe she made let him get away or didn't didn't kill him. Uh, but then she obviously comes up here and says, "I killed him." Yeah, I'm gonna have to call that pulling a Negan. <laughs> so that we would... uh, it is kind of it does make weird like storytelling that a show that you know is not shy of showing you murder and killing main characters plays it real coy like this it's right. like, oh oh wait did we did we kill him who did we kill <laughs> so yeah she negan him <laughs> i like that that's it's pretty good um <laughs> and then yeah you have to take into account i mean davros was obviously a really good friend of stannis and the the melisandre was uh backing him for the very longest time or for the very long for the longest time so uh the fact that she came up and just like yeah i killed him and then kind of just walks away is interesting <laughs> it's kind of a mic, mic drop, drop. <laughs> it's also interesting that melisandre is wholeheartedly pledging herself to Jon snow and he doesn't even know it yet it's that is also interesting davos is all like so what are you gonna do and she's like whatever Jon snow tells me to do he's the one he's the prince that was promised i was wrong about stannis and Jon Snow like doesn't even know. It's like, um, okay, go back <laughs> home, I guess. And Which then leads me to my other favorite Brienne moment, and Tormund Giant Spain checking her out a couple times. <laughs> he was very infatuated with her <laughs> throughout the episode, uh, which was was <laughs> was very funny. Well, I was like, this is why they call him the Giant Spain. <laughs> uh, so, I mean, that's, that's a lot of what's going on uh, up north. What's happening uh, across the Narrow Seas? Across the Narrow Sea, you have uh, Nario and uh, Jora finally uh, making their way to Vastothrak and formulating a plan for how they're going to get Daenerys back. And also, Dario realizing that Jorah's got grayscale. Now, is that going to be something that uh, it can be used as blackmail? Or or what? Well, it, it's a couple of things. Because, you know, Jorah made the special case to say, like, yeah, I haven't touched you yet. So you're, you're good for now. Uh, you know, it's a disease that's basically passed on, like, you know, with even the slightest contact, you, know, you can get it. Now, does it so, have yeah, to be the, have to be very careful? Does it have to be contact with the area that is infected with the the grayscale, or can it just be contact, any kind of contact? I believe it has to be the area that's infected. Okay. And um, so so far, right now, it's like on part of his under forearm and wrist. Right. Um, but it is increasing. I mean, like the last time you saw it, it was just a tiny little patch, like the size of where a wristwatch would go, and now it's more. No, um, it's like almost his out. whole forearm. Yeah, could he pull a Herschel and and cut off his his arm and and it, and stop it from spreading? Um, 
it would delay it, but like we mentioned earlier, actually curing it is really difficult, and it usually involves like blood magic or um, some other unmentioned expensive procedure that um, can take a while. And even then, it's not always successful. They have characters in the show that um, get it cured. In fact, one of the one of the Greyjoy characters in the books gets grayscale and has his own red priest cure it but he still has to check every now and then to make sure he doesn't like it doesn't it hasn't come spread. Back and, like, okay. prick his fingers and make sure they still bleed you know to stay on top of it hmm that's very interesting uh so once they finally make it there they notice they or jorah knows the fact that you can't have uh weapons in the in the Sacred City, or what do these call it? Sacred City or Forbidden City? Uh, I think it's the Forbidden City. Okay. And uh, uh, so he comes up with a plan to be to be merchants that lose their way, but that doesn't quite work out well for them. Yeah, that whole covert ops thing was not very clear. However, there's an explanation for why that plan fails, and I didn't realize it until I was looking around through Reddit and somebody made the connection. Um, this goes all the way back to season two, but basically, when Daenerys took over the remains of the Kalasar, uh, three Dothraki pledged themselves as her blood riders. Uh, one of them came back as a severed head. Uh, another one disappeared, and then the third one is the one that had the invitation from Karth. Right. So, the one that disappeared, his name was Ago. And again, this was kind of a deep cut. I've completely had forgotten about this character. Well, he was one of the two Dothraki that saw Jorah and Dario in the alleyway. Oh. And it is mentioned by whatever the Cal was, the leader of the Cal's in um, in that meeting that they're having to decide Daenerys' fate. Right. Um, right before they bring her in, they're like, hey, so uh, there was a Dothraki that was found with his head smashed in. And he was like, oh, you mean Ago? Yeah, that guy was worthless or something to that effect. So he basically, what they're saying is, when he went to go look for help, he either was found by another Kalasar or said screw it and went back home and then just forgot about everyone. But it seems like he recognized Jorah. Which he would because it was a big part of his uh, his Kalasar or his, his group. Um, yeah, the, it was like the number two, so he'd definitely be memorable. Right. So that's but that's that kind of their their plan failed because they didn't take into account somebody would recognize him. Right. Oh, that's that is very interesting. So, uh, yeah, and then uh, uh, Dario ends up pulling out his little knife that he really, 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 really likes. <laughs> well, did you really like it? I didn't catch when he said that. Uh, yeah, you know, I, he didn't say it at all or anything. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and then, you know, I, I like the fact that Daenerys actually has herself a plan. She uh, knows that once she gets inside the meeting room, she's going to be okay. Uh, because they find her and they're going to, they're going to like, they're like, hey, let's go. We need to get you out of here. And she's like, no, 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 no. Just all you got to do is make sure no one comes in or no one goes out of that room after I've gone in. Yeah, she's like, I got this, bros. Which, you know, I think was funny because. I had actually thought about that, like, before the episode started, like, she, it's part of her name, the Unburnt, but she, you know, she doesn't, they don't ever do the whole her and fire anymore that often. And... Well, see, that's interesting, because George R.R. R. Martin has, has claimed in the past that while, yes, some Targaryens have, an, uh, like, a, a tolerance to heat, Daenerys being fireproof that one time was the product of a lot of kind of random variables that happen to line up you have um her basically just having a bunch of faith that it was going to work and the witch basically trying some last minute spells to kind of protect herself from the fire it's implied that the the spell fails to protect the the witch but it actually is what gave um daenerys her immunity to fire that one time now, George R. R. Martin said that was a one-time thing, that the show was kind of playing up her fire immunity or her, her heat defense a little too much. And um, 
that seems to be something the show is definitely running with now. That seems to be one of the biggest divergences, unless George R. R. Martin goes and, you know, corrects something or puts something in the next book. That's the the time that she burned herself uh, in the pyre was the only time that that really happened, or something like that happened. Right. That is very interesting. So that, that would be that would definitely be where uh, the divergence of the writers from the TV show are like, well, now we're in new territory. We can. Uh, go and use things that maybe we thought were interesting that haven't been used again in the book, which would be something like this. Yeah, and narratively speaking, I really loved it because it shows that, A, she's sure of herself. I mean, like, they were kind of playing her up to be somewhat defenseless without her army and her dragons. Right. But you're right. It shows that she had a plan. You know, she she was sure that, you know, this wasn't, this, this she was going to survive it. And more importantly it showed that she didn't need no man because right before that scene happens jorah and dario find her and they're like hey we gotta get out of here and she was like no it's cool like just hang back and uh, let me take care of it just trust me and then like literally that seems to be oh go ahead well i was gonna say that seemed to be the theme of the whole episode is like the the women who were previously in positions of like no power or having the power stripped getting it back with you know in the north you have sansa telling john they need to take their home back you have um daenerys here saying like no i got this i can take care of myself and um over in pike you have Tyrion or Tyrion, um theon telling his sister that he'll support her for her her bid for queen Right, and she is like, "All right, let's do this." Yeah, that's, uh, you're you're very right. A lot, a lot of uh, the female characters stepping up to be uh, the heads of their uh, of their, or at least you know, not st- taking a back seat to uh, what's going on. Uh, and then you know, obviously with with Daenerys in that last scene, as she comes, she walks out of the the burning building, you know, all of the Dothraki are sitting there bowing to her. So once again, she's got. A giant, another giant army that she can control. Yeah, I I think there's a formula for that too. Because season one, she burns one Dothraki. She gets a small Kalazar. You know, season six or yeah, season six, she burns all of the Dothraki Kals. She gets all of the armies. <laughs> she sure does. Uh, I wonder if she'll still keep all the old uh, Khaleesi's. You know, in their tent or whatever their one room or if she'll bring them along to be part of her royal package i guess i don't know how to say it her kalazar um i think she might free them because she saw it like you, you saw how much she thought it was bullshit that you know they have to basically become prisoners there right yeah exactly so, i mean yeah I mean, I, I have no doubt that she's going to free them, but I just wonder if they'll end up being part of, like, her royal advisors or if they're going to just be people. They're just going to be uh, regular Dothraki again. That's a good question. They, she might bring them on as advisors, yeah. Uh, or she might even promote them so that they can be leaders. The, exactly. That could work out, too. I see that more like, yeah. And... You know, and that you know, we we would uh, also. I think the other big part of the storyline would be in this episode would be what happens in King's Landing. Yes, you see them uh, getting closer and closer to conflict with the uh, the faith militants. Right, and uh, it's this this is where they're letting uh, Marjorie talk to uh, Lawrence for the first time. Yes, he looks like he's about to break, and she's telling him, "No, you got to be strong. You got to endure this." And he's like, "But I don't wanna." <laughs> so yeah, that's kind of be interesting, and that's another one of the uh, girl power ones where she's the one telling him, "You know, you need to to stay strong, endure, and all that." Right, and it, and eventually it's Cersei who gets and you know gets to talking to. Uh, uh, Lady Tyrell um, and says, uh, "Look, they're gonna let her go, but when they let her go, they're gonna make her walk her walk of shame or humility or whatever it's called, just like they did me. And that's gonna be in two days. So if we don't want that to happen, we need to act now. And that's literally like she's like, no, that's never gonna happen to my granddaughter. So they're 
pulling in the armies from from the from high gardens and and wherever else right yeah and interestingly they both agree that it can't happen and i'm kind of curious as to why all of a sudden um cersei doesn't want that to happen cersei to marjorie seems to be on her side but i think she she doesn't it's not so much because she cares about marjorie it's more because you know, if they did it to Cersei, that's one thing. She was just the king's mother and didn't really hold any power. If they do it to the queen, then by all intents and purposes, the faith militant would then show that they have power over the king and the queen. Yes, exactly. And, and that's the power. You really can't have that happening. Yeah, the power leaving the king's hands and the, the people will, will look towards the faith militant as the new rulers of King's Landing. Yeah, and uh, that's that's a power shift that these families cannot afford. So that's uh, I, I believe that's a good sum up of what happened in uh, this fourth episode of season six, uh, uh, the Book of the Stranger. I think there's only a couple other things that happened that we didn't get to. Maybe uh, what the interaction with Littlefinger, uh, but anything like anything in particular that you really want to talk about? Uh, just a couple things, um, real small, that have to do with. The uh, Ramsey Bolton. Um, we have him kind of have a little interview with uh, Osha. Osha, that's right. Where you think that she has the upper hand at first because she's kind of playing dumb and you know showing that she's just a mercenary and doesn't really care about Rickon. Right. And then when she tries to do what she did with Theon, that's when Ramsey lets it out that yeah, I know that you tried doing this once before, and guess what? And you know, shanks her in the neck, kills her. Gives her a very unceremonious death, and I'm which, like, "Oh no, really? It sucks." <laughs> which to me was very unfortunate with, uh, uh, with um, the actress is like she didn't even get seen at all this this season until right now, and then this is her scene, and she's dead. <laughs> yeah, and you come back for one and a half episodes. <laughs> I was like, "Well, she must not have been busy." Yeah. And um, well, she she's not filming that, any more Harry Potter movies earlier. <laughs> I have a theory as to what's going on with uh, Rick and Stark. Uh, we know that he can warg, you know, just like Bran can. Really, I didn't and, know that. Uh, yes, in well, actually, maybe they don't mention it so much in the show, but in the books, he definitely can warg. As a matter of fact, he can do it much easier than Bran can because wow. uh, he's a little more wild. And they were saying that he had a much stronger connection. To, um, to his dog because in many ways they were both just like more wild and therefore easier to merge together. Okay, so after the death of Shaggy Dog, um, Bran wouldn't have a dire wolf to warg into and I think we're going to see a scene somewhere soon in um, probably the battle for Winterfell that's going to happen. You're going to think Ramsay's on top. He's going to have his dogs around him. And Rickon will probably warg into one of them and take Ramsay out. Oh wow, that is that would be pretty cool. You would have you you would be able to, yeah. It's, uh, especially since you know you would think that Ramsay would be very much uh, at ease around the dogs that he's trained and his defenses being down, and then all of a sudden the dog turning turning his back on him or turning on him and, and chowing down on him. That'd be crazy. Yeah, that that's not the way I would have expected him to go, but that's how I'm calling it now because of everything that we've seen happen. Fair enough. And I think that's one of the reasons why we've seen him feed the his former stepmom and brothers and also mentioned that to feed uh, that one girl to the dogs. Right. Is um that's going to be his his come up and Sounds good. I like that theory. I, I can't wait to see see it play out. <laughs> yeah, you heard it here, folks. So there you go. That is episode four of the season six Game of Thrones. John, I, I greatly appreciate you and what you had to say this episode. I think uh, we did a great job summarizing it, and uh, you know, I, I appreciate all the info that you always you always have. So, uh, why don't you go ahead and? Oh, have you gotten yourself a, a Twitter yet? You know what? I'm doing that today. Okay. Get yourself on Twitter. And uh, everybody knows that they can always talk to you on uh, the, the, the Geekly Radio Facebook. So 
Uh, you, myself, I am at agent underscore of the underscore bat uh, on Twitter. We have at Geek Elite Radio on Twitter and Geek Elite Radio on uh, Instagram. And then Geek Elite Radio is our Facebook page. Uh, go to geekeliteradio.com for our, uh, past pod- podcasts and other podcasts in the network. And uh, make sure to go to our uh, or go on iTunes and give us a review and subscribe and uh, you know any other podcast uh, app that you tend to use. Uh, Google, uh, Google Play Music, Google Play Store, Google or <laughs> Stitcher, Podcast Addict, any one of those. But uh, until next week, this has been the Geeks Watch on the Geek Elite Radio Network. Saying always remember to. Geek out. We now return you to your regularly scheduled program.